Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. What is the meaning of life? It's an age-old question that many different people have asked and many different people have answered in a variety of different ways. But this morning, I'm asking you, what's the meaning of life? I'm not sure if it's me or I just sensed it, but I, I felt a collective groan of, please, Pastor Matt, I have not had enough coffee to start answering deep existential questions like this at 10 in the morning. But I'm asking, I'm asking you to think about that answer. What would you say the meaning of life is? Let me put it a different way for you. What makes life significant? What makes your life have purpose? To prime the pump a little bit and to get you thinking, let me share with you what some of the most brilliant philosophers, authors, and people have said throughout time in answer to that question. What's the meaning of life? Aristotle, Greek philosopher, said happiness is the meaning and purpose of life. The whole aim and end of human existence is happiness. Also, along those lines, but with a little different nuance, Epicurus, also a Greek philosopher, said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Also, thinking about happiness, more about fun, merriment. We don't say be merry anymore, but we want to have fun, right? That's the meaning of life, says Epicurus. Maybe that's too shallow, too too self-absorbed, right? Happiness and just having fun. Eliza Farnham says this, uh, American author, the ultimate aim of the human mind in all of its efforts is to become acquainted with truth. It's a much more noble purpose. So also is this one, Leo Tolstoy, the Russian officer said, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity, service and truth, much more noble purposes to life. But not everyone shares such an optimistic outlook. Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher said, to live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. What's the meaning of life? It's simply to suffer and try to survive. William Shakespeare, even more grim than that, says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's the significance of life. Americans don't really like that very much. So the uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator turned governor, he said the meaning of life is not simply to exist, not simply to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. It's a much more hopeful meaning of life. Here's another one. Joseph Campbell, famous professor, said life has no meaning, but... Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. You are the meaning of life, is his answer. 
So what is it? There doesn't seem to be any consensus to that question. So what would you say? Let me give you just one more. John the Baptist, the prophet, asked a question in our gospel lesson for today. He asked it of Jesus. He said, Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Behind that question, John is revealing yet another worldview, another, another view on what the meaning of life is. And he gives an answer. More so, Jesus gives an answer in the way he replies to that question. Did you catch it? Hold that thought for a second because I'm not letting you get away with it that quickly. What would you say the meaning of life is? If someone were to ask you that this morning or prior to today, what would you tell them your purpose is on the face of the earth? Why your life has significance? It's a question that perhaps we don't take the time too often to pause and think about. And it makes sense, right? I know not many of us are authors or philosophers or people who have time and resource to just sit back and contemplate these questions, right? We have kids, we have responsibilities, we have responsibilities at home, responsibilities at work. So sometimes these kind of questions don't really get thought about too deeply. But what if there was someone that we could pay to think about this question for us? What if there was a scenario where there was a person who was the wisest person the world have ever seen who had all the resources needed to answer this question? They had the time, they had the knowledge, they had the money, they had the resources, and they could answer this question. But did you know that actually happened? And his name was Solomon. Solomon, as we'll see here in, in just a second, was a man who is gifted wisdom, greatest wisdom this world has ever seen by God himself. And on top of that, he was given other gifts because when God asked him, what do you want? He said wisdom, and yet he was still given riches. He was still given power. He was still given influence. And we have in the book of Ecclesiastes, what is from Solomon a lifelong research project to the question we're considering today. What is the meaning of life? In that book, Solomon took all of the things that he had been given and he studied it. He studied this question using all the wisdom from God and we'll get an answer. We're going to see what he says about the meaning of life, what it is that informs our biblical worldview about this question. Here's what it says to begin with. First, let me backtrack. Just so we know, in 1 Kings 4, this is what we read about Solomon, that God gave wisdom and very great insight to him and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And in 2 Chronicles, we read that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. That's what we know about him. And then here at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us his purpose. He says, I applied my mind to the study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Everything that happens here on earth. 
This is what he came up with. He's answering the question, what is the meaning of life? And first, he pursued the concept of wisdom. And this is what he wrote. He said, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The comparison we might make is to a modern, brilliant economist. Someone who is able to look, study, and analyze the world markets and knows that if things continue to trend the way they are, if people invest wildly or foolishly, well, the markets might crash. And so he advises, no, 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 don't do that. Invest this way. Don't make rash decisions. And yet people don't act reasonably or logically all the time. And so this brilliant economist just sits back and watches our economy, world markets, go up in flames. He says, with knowledge is more grief. He goes on to say this. He says, the wise have eyes in their head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. In other words, Solomon, the wisest man this world has ever seen, would disagree with the author, Eliza Franzman, who said that truth and knowledge and understanding is the ultimate meaning to life. He said it all results in nothing. Wisdom's not it. So then, this is what Solomon said. He pursued pleasure and said to himself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, nothing was gained under the sun. The modern comparison might be the billionaire or the pop star who has virtually unlimited resources to do whatever they want, to find anything they want, to entertain themselves in any way they want, and yet they still end up empty. They still end up depressed and anxious. They spend all the money in the world to surround themselves with people of all standing. And yet they still yearn for and long for real connection and true friends. He says pleasure isn't the answer. So King Solomon, he switched his tactics one more time and he pursued work. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. 
I made reservoirs to water groves of the flourishing trees. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for my toil. And yet, when I surveyed all my hands had done and when I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless and chasing after the wind. And you know why? He said, because he couldn't keep it. Solomon writes, eventually, I began to hate life because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who is to come after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. Therefore, this too is meaningless. The wisest person in the entire world, the person who had unlimited resources of knowledge, of power, of influence, of wealth, set out on a quest to understand what the meaning of life was. And what did he say? Well, he told us right away in the beginning of his book, meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. We looked first at what the philosophers and authors and politicians and great thinkers of the world says. And this guy from the Bible, this is what he says. Everything is meaningless. Is it what you expected? That our biblical worldview, being informed by the Bible, would advise that everything in this world is meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why? It's because five minutes after we're gone, it all amounts to nothing. I mean, we're not like King Solomon, not quite, but we can still relate in the area of wisdom, right? We live in a time and place where we have more access to knowledge and understanding than at any point in the history of the world before this. And on top of that, we live in a country where all of us have access to education. On top of that, some of us have gone to graduate from college. Some of us have gone to pursue further degrees in higher education. Most of us spend about 18 years of our life in school, cramming our heads full of facts, knowledge, writing papers, studying for exams. We get wisdom. We get knowledge. And yet, what does it get you five minutes after you die? Nothing. We're not like King Solomon, but we get pleasure. Again, we live in a time in history where we know luxury like kings before us did not know. You drove to church this morning in the sweltering sun, and yet I'm guessing most of you enjoyed air conditioning. We go to church in a place where we're not sitting on the floor, and we're not even sitting on hard wooden benches. Look where we're sitting. We go home, and we have access to hours, 
upon hours, endless hours of entertainment. Entertainment that can be live streamed to us wherever we want on several different devices. Living in this time and place, we get to know some of God's gifts and we get to enjoy some of God's gifts that were meant for our pleasure. We get to enjoy alcohol in moderation. We get to enjoy God's gifts of sex within the confines of marriage. You look in our backyard, we have thousands upon thousands of restaurants that bring us food from all over the world. And yet what does it get us in the end, all this pleasure? It also gets us nothing. You know, we can relate to Solomon in the concept of work and achievement too. I look around at this group of people and I see a variety of talents and abilities. Talents and abilities that all of you use in various vocations and various callings in your life to find fulfillment. I know that you find fulfillment using your gifts at home or in the workplace to pursue progress, pursue achievement, pursue success. I know many of you have moved up rank, got promotions, moved to positions in your life where you have achieved success. And yet five minutes after you die, what will all of that get you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's kind of depressing when you think about it. The three areas of life that we spend so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our resource, work, school, education, pleasure, fun, recreation. What's it all for? Nothing. It's absolutely meaningless, utterly meaningless. King Solomon said these words 3,000 years ago. For 3,000 years, mankind has been studying the question, what is the meaning of life? And you want to know what people have come up with as of today? Most honest philosophers and people who think deeply about this question agree with King Solomon. Bertrand Russell, a very famous philosopher from the United Kingdom, says, our lives truly have no meaning in and of themselves. And so what should we do? We must build our lives on the firm foundation of despair. What he's saying is your life is nothing. It is meaningless. There's only the ability to despair in the face of that. And so just make of your life what you can. Build your life on that foundation and just do what you can while you're here. But can we explore that for a second? Can we explore the logical conclusion of what building your life on the foundation of despair actually looks like? On what taking to its logical, consistent conclusion a life of meaninglessness looks like? I'm give you an example by telling you a story. It's a story of a group of indigenous people that live in Canada. There's a particular tribe uh, that lives in Canada of indigenous people that suffer from a suicide epidemic that is 30 times the rate of what other indigenous people suffer. And that rate is several times the rate of what the average Canadian faces as the likelihood of suicide being a part of their life. 
This has baffled the Canadian government, has baffled the tribe that is affected by this, and it is particularly affecting the young people where an epidemic of suicide is robbing them of their lives. So the Canadian government went and it sent in teams of researchers, psychologists, and therapists to interview these people and find out what's going on. And you want to know what they discovered? Well, the fancy term is called identity erasure. In short, it means that the people who are taking their lives are doing so because they have no concept of identity. Their stories are all gone. You see, the tribe that is facing this problem is a tribe that has a rich history, a vibrant history of being a strong and successful people. And yet they also have a tradition of passing on to the next generation who they are with an oral history. And yet the elders are dying without passing that on to the young men and the young women. And so these young men and young women are living without any context of who they are and what it means to live. They have no context outside of their day-to-day existence about where they come from in their past and what their story means, therefore, for their future. They have no stories. Well, this has been researched and well-documented that people need a story. They need what's called a meta-narrative. Have you heard that term before? It's a term that you can break down what it's about by looking at the words there. And meta means greater or beyond. And narrative means story. What the brightest scientists will tell you today, whether they're an atheist or a Christian, is that humankind needs a story. People need a story on which to hang their existence, their hope for the future, their identity from the past. It needs to be the backbone of who we are. Without it, our lives seem empty, pointless, and meaningless. And that is why John the Baptist asked this question. He wanted to know. Put yourself in his sandals for just a moment. John the Baptist sat in prison. He sat in prison and he knew it would be the inevitable end. He knew very soon his head would end up on the platter of King Herod. And he wondered... He wondered if his entire life of sacrifice, his entire life of foregoing financial gain, his entire life of preaching to a group of people who most of the time poo-pooed what he had to say was all worth it. John the Baptist didn't want to know if Jesus could come and rescue him and bust him out of jail. John the Baptist didn't want to know if Jesus could alleviate his suffering and pain in prison. No, what he wanted to know was if Jesus was who he says he was. Because he knew. He knew that if Jesus was not, the preaching was pointless. The faith was fraught with nothingness. The suffering was insignificant. And so he asked, Jesus, are you the one or should we hope for someone else? That's what makes Jesus' answer so powerful. 
What Jesus said to him was this, the lame receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed in anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Listen, do you understand what Jesus is saying in this reply to John? What he is saying is, John, your life has meaning. Your life has purpose because I am who I am. I am everything that has ever been said about me. What Jesus is doing in these verses right here, he is quoting the Old Testament. He is quoting prophecies about him that said the Messiah would come and do only things that the Messiah could do, that he would come and he would save his people, that he would come and he would give sight to the blind, heal the leprous, that he would come and proclaim good news, that sinners are right with God. And his reply to John was, look, I did it all. What Jesus is telling is the story, God's story, that takes up all of his story. A story that is your story. A story that infuses your life with meaning. It's the meta narrative of Scripture, it's the narrative that gives meaning to every single narrative. It's the story of God creating mankind in his image. It's the story of humankind falling from God. It's the story of humankind being separated from God because of our sin. It's the story of all of humankind sinking under the weight of sin and death and the devil. It's the story that finds its ultimate climax on a hill called Calvary. It's the story, it's the story of the unexpected and the beautiful sacrifice of God himself coming in the form of a person and diving headlong into the sin, into the darkness, into the suffering, into the pain, and taking away that which was holding us down. It's the story of Jesus going on a rescue mission for you and lifting you up out of the darkness into his wonderful light. It's the story of Jesus Christ clothing you with his righteousness. It's the story of Jesus Christ coming to finding you and making you his. It's the story of all the history of the world finding its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ and his work, his work for you, his work redeeming you, coming for you and lifting you to himself. It's a story that gives meaning to our lives and not just meaning and purpose and significance, but also immortality. Here's the big answer to the question we're asking today. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to live forever in the love of Christ. That is the purpose, that is the significance of our lives, that Jesus Christ came and made you his and brought you into an everlasting, a forever kingdom where you get to live and reign with him. And if all that weren't enough, if all that were not enough to keep us endlessly engaged and perpetually praising him for what he's done, 
the narrative of Scripture says the story is still being written, and you are a character in it. The end is defined. Life and eternity is the meaning and the purpose of your life. But for now, you get to be a character in this story because you get to labor here in the love of Christ. And I think I need to unpack that for just a moment as we close out. Because so often Christians will say, I know it, I get it, Jesus saved me, my life here is not what it's all about, life in eternity is where I'm going. And yet, pastor, that doesn't help me with the day-to-day. That doesn't help me with my day-to-day existence of trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do during my 80 years that I'm here. It doesn't tell the story of why I'm even here in the first place. And then you mix into this this, this feeling of guilt that we feel self-absorbed or egocentric that we want to have significance beyond this life. Should you feel bad for wanting that? Should you feel self-absorbed and self-centered for not being satisfied with life in eternity? The answer is no. Because the truth is that God created you for more than this mere existence can satisfy. God created people in such a way to yearn for significance that is beyond what this world can hold for you. God created us in such a way that we long to matter, that we long to have an impact that is beyond ourselves and that is beyond this life. And philosophy and like science today will tell you that that is a fool's errand to try to figure it out. It'll try to tell you that it is just some nice psychological concept, like having an imagination that you desire and hunger for that. But the biblical worldview, the biblical narrative speaks with clarity, simplicity, and elegance quite differently from that. We looked at what philosophers say about what this meaning of life is all about. Let's take a look at some of the words of the author of life and what he says the meaning of life is. These are words from Jesus where he writes this. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of me, of mine, you did for me. What he's saying is that whatever you do in this life isn't for yourself, it isn't for your happiness, it isn't for your achievement or even the service to someone else. You did it for me. He goes on and he says elsewhere, he says in John chapter 15, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In other words, when you became mine by me choosing you, Jesus says, I appointed you to go and achieve things, achieve things that will last forever. Jesus said this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And get this, the son of man will give you this. Acts chapter one, he says, what's the meaning? What's the purpose of the life? 
What significance do you have? You get to be my witness. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Look at one more. Not a quote from Jesus, but one all about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Apostle Paul writes this, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. According to the Christian worldview, according to the biblical narrative, you have words Words spoken into your life from the author of life about your life that each and everything you do matters because it matters to him. Think about this for a second. Anything that you do for yourself, anything that you do for your gain, for your personal fulfillment, for your personal knowledge and gain will all result in nothingness meaninglessness. And yet Jesus says, everything that you do for me, nothing that you do will ever be forgotten. And here's why. Because the one who lives forever lives to remember each and every one of you. That's meaningful. There's nothing about that that is meaningless. Here's the point. Here's the purpose. Not only are you called into a life of meaning and purpose to live in love with God forever, but you're also called for a life of meaning and purpose to labor here in the love of Christ. What I'm saying is that Christ Jesus called you into a life when he called you out of death and darkness into his marvelous life, into a life that is infused with meaning. Beginning now, and into eternity. But you might be saying, Matt, what about Ecclesiastes? What about that book in the Bible that said everything that I do, everything that I learn, everything that I pursue that has pleasure connected to it, everything that I try to achieve in my life, all is meaningless. We have to understand who's writing this book and when they're writing it. It's Solomon who spent his entire life trying to understand the meaning of life. He spent his entire life going after this, and here he is writing Ecclesiastes, and some people believe he's on his deathbed. He's at the end of his life for certain writing this. And he looks back, and his conclusion is that everything is meaningless, and yet listen to the way he wraps up the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember him before the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. This is how he ends the story. He says, here's the conclusion. Life under this sun is utterly meaningless. Life without God has no meaning. But in fact, life with him is meaningful. You might be able to put it this way, that life under the sun is meaningless, but life under the S-O-N sun is meaningful. Life under the Son of God, life lived in Christ, infuses your life with meaning. And now everything that you do, everything that you will ever do, has meaning. The relationships that you have, the day-to-day things that you do, the way you handle sickness, the way you handle health, the way you handle failure, and the way you handle success is all changed. Your story is changed Because it's brought under his story, a story that lasts forever. Amen.